Our Father, as we come to your word now and think about the issue of sickness, we pray that having heard from your word and being pointed to Jesus, that we would leave here this morning holding to Christ more closely, loving him more heartily, living for him more thoroughly, copying him more exactly, confessing him more boldly and following him more fully. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. We read in John chapter 9, as Jesus went along, he saw a blind man, a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened to him so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. The disciples ask a very important question, don't they? It's a universal question that we ask when we're confronted with sickness, especially significant sickness, maybe terminal or chronic illness. It's the question of why. Why is this sickness for this person at this time? That's a great question to ask, especially if you're a doctor and you're seeking to provide care and help and treatment for a sick person, isn't it? But it's a fraught question when it comes to the sovereignty of God and his specific purposes in allowing this sickness for this person at this time. It's fraught because very rarely does God give his specific purposes about what he is doing with a particular sickness in a particular person at a particular time. But he does give us, in his word, great assurance and great comfort about his general, about his big purposes for people, even in the midst of sickness. We get the bigger picture of sickness from God's word. And so while God's word in the middle of your sickness may not give you the specific answer why, God's word does disrupt for us the journey to bitterness and resentment in sickness. And God's word turns us towards his big purposes, the big picture of dependence upon his grace his grace that is a continuing project to make you more like Jesus and to complete, to perfect, to mature you in Christ. And we see that in 2 Corinthians 12. Uh, But the disciples didn't ask the question, why did they? What was the question they asked? They asked, who? Who sinned to cause this man's sickness, his blindness? It's a legitimate question. It's a question that reflects some biblical understanding of the world of sin, of sickness. The fact that sickness exists in this world is a result of sin being in this world. A world under sin means a world under sickness as creation, including our bodies, groan with longing, waiting for the redemption of the new creation. A world under sin means a world under sickness as the consequence of sin 
and the frustration and the corruption of God's good creation. As that frustration, as that corruption is played out and lived out in the frailty of our own human flesh. But while the disciples' question of who does reflect some good biblical understanding of the world of sin or sickness, Jesus puts his finger on the problem. Instead of asking who or what, you should be asking why. Instead of asking in sickness who sinned, whose fault is this, or what sin caused this, or what sin are you hiding, or what have I missed that caused this sickness, instead of asking those questions, you should be asking the question why? What purpose might God have in taking the pain, in taking the weakness, in taking the suffering of sickness and turning it gloriously for his good purposes? Friends, we need to be wary of people who want to ask the who and what questions when we're sick. The false teachers who want to say that you have cancer because of your father's sin or because you haven't confessed something in your past. They quickly, those false teachers, create a Christian class system that equates strength, that equates health with faith. They do the opposite of what the Bible does. And Jesus himself gives us the answer, doesn't he? He says it's not this man's sin or his parents that caused the blindness. He's blind because he was born into a fallen world with the frailty of fallen flesh and blood, but his blindness does give the opportunity for him to see the grace and power of God. His blindness will actually be the vehicle through which God works to not only bring healing but to bring faith to bring faith in God and to bring forgiveness and eternal life. We shouldn't be afraid to ask the why question when we're sick, when our loved one is sick. The why question isn't so much the complaining question, the why me kind of question, although God is big enough to handle that question. And the Psalms give us enough space, don't they, to reflect that question back to God from his word, why me? Can help drive us to God's, to trust in God's good purposes. But in thinking about sickness, we want to ask the question why, in terms of what purpose God might be working for his good and, for our good and his glory. And in the middle of sickness, asking the question of God's glory and your good, that question can feel blurry, it can feel distant, it can feel futile in the middle of your sickness. And if you're suffering right now, you might find that that question, the question of how God is being glorified, of what good this sickness is doing you, you might find that question very difficult to grapple with if you're suffering, if you're sick right now. And that's okay. You should talk to me about that later. But it's the question to ask before you're sick. It's the question to ask in your health 
that you might be prepared for illness, the inevitable illness that comes because guess what? You too were born into a fallen world with the frailty of fallen human flesh and blood. Over the years I have found much help in 2 Corinthians 12 in thinking about those bigger questions, the bigger purposes that God works even through sickness. Uh, If you've read the book of 2 Corinthians, it's a significant theme throughout the book, that of weakness and suffering. If we are to follow a crucified Jesus and proclaim the message of the cross, then our lives, our ministries will have a cross shape to them and it will be no surprise that when we look to to Jesus, the suffering servant who was crucified for us, that God works his purposes through weakness and through suffering. That shouldn't be a surprise, should it, when you follow the suffering servant who died for the great purpose of bringing forgiveness and new life to the world. It should be no surprise to us that God works his good purposes through weakness, through suffering. And throughout this book, Paul is emphasising the response of, he's emphasising weakness and suffering in response to false teachers. They've come into the church in Corinth, these impressive teachers who he calls ironically super apostles. They are those who commend themselves. They are those who aren't slow to recite their resume. They aren't shy to flex their muscles. They aren't backward in coming forward to suggest their own importance, their own significance, their own capacity, their own greatness. Which makes me think that this is very relevant for us in our day, isn't it? In a culture where we elevate the strong, where we're impressed by resumes and qualifications and achievements, where we're obsessed with health and beauty and strength, In a culture like that, we need to hear about the weakness of the cross, of God's purposes being brought about through suffering. Here's a little ad in the middle of my sermon. If you want to think about our culture's obsession with wellness and health as a secular version of salvation, can I commend to you a public lecture at the PLC school this month, in just a couple of weeks' time, where our own Justine Toe from our 10am congregation, who's done a lot of work on this, will be bringing the biblical perspective to our wellness culture. Thursday the 30th of August at PLC, I commend that to you. But these super apostles with their strength, with their capacity, with their impressiveness, have influenced the church in Corinth And their lies have led Paul to a place that he doesn't want to be. He doesn't want to be defending himself. He doesn't want to be putting himself forward and talking about his resume. But they have backed him into a corner where he needs to match their boasting. And so all through chapter 11 he has been boasting. But he boasts in such a way as to knock down these super apostles because he boasts in his sufferings. He boasts in his weaknesses. He does it so that he might keep speaking about how great Jesus is 
and not in any way distract people by thinking how great he is. So as chapter 12 begins, Paul ends up speaking in the third person about his own experiences of God to match and to shame the super apostles. But then once again he turns this great high of his personal experience of God into boasting about his weakness and his suffering. Look with me down there, halfway through verse 7, where Paul says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now over the centuries there's been much speculation about what Paul's thorn in the flesh actually is. Epilepsy, gout, headaches, sexual temptation have been some of the big suggestions over the centuries. But thankfully Paul doesn't specify so we're not tempted to limit this principle to only one application. Paul sees in this weakness and suffering the very purpose of God. He didn't want it. It wasn't pleasant. He pleaded with the Lord to take it away. It is right to pray for healing. It is good to pray for healing. But for Paul, healing wasn't given in this life. And for many of us, healing won't be given in this life. And while it wasn't pleasant and while he didn't want it, Paul was still able to see and to rejoice in God's good purpose in it. The great Charles Spurgeon, who himself suffered with chronic illness, he says this, he says, God takes no delight in the suffering of his children. Whenever adversity must come, it is always with a purpose and if a purpose of God is to be subserved by my suffering, would I wish to escape from it? If his glory will come of it, shall I not even crave the honour of being the agent of his glory? Even though it be by lying passive and enduring anguish. You can be an agent for God's glory and honour even as you lie on your sickbed. How does it glorify God? How does sickness point to God's glory and honour? Well, Paul says that it kept him from becoming conceited. It kept him from being self-reliant kept him from thinking about his self-importance, his self-sufficiency. It kept him from self-aggrandising. Paul had much capacity, didn't he? He had many achievements. He had great experience that he could boast in and possibly rely on for his own merit before God. And God used suffering to keep him depending upon God's grace. And God's grace alone. 
And I think God regularly uses sickness and suffering for that very purpose. There is nothing like sickness, isn't there, to show you that you are are a dependent creature. There's nothing like sickness to show that you are not in control, that you're not able to fix yourself, let alone save yourself. In recent years I've buried two members of my extended family for whom God used the awful suffering of terminal cancer to bring them back to himself. They were highly intelligent, highly capable. They were wealthy, they were strong, they were successful people who had lots of reasons to think that they were self-reliant and in control of their own lives and their own future. And I remember vividly getting a phone call from Concord Hospital from this strong, from this successful woman suffering and weak. She said, please come to the hospital. I need you to talk to me about Jesus. She wrestled with the gospel throughout her illness and as cancer robbed her of strength, as cancer took away her ability to do anything for herself, she came to see that she needed to depend upon Jesus and his death for sin. Was it pleasant? No. Was it agonising? Yes. Did God work it for his good purposes? Absolutely. She entrusted her life and her death and her eternal future into the hands of Jesus just a couple of days before she died. God frequently uses sickness and suffering to cause us to say, to cause us to hear in his words to the Apostle, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I was sick this week. I lost a day and a half of my week in bed and was frustrated by my own weakness. I was frustrated by the knowledge that the things I wanted to do this week simply didn't get done. And it was a blessing to have this verse in my mind. Am I relying on my own capacity? Am I wanting the glory of achievements and progress and people saying good job? Or is God's grace sufficient for me? Is God's grace alone sufficient for me? For his power is made perfect in my weakness. His power is at work bringing to completion his good purposes for me, even, even especially in my weakness. Because it's in sickness and weakness that I'm able to see my need for my Saviour. It's in sickness and that I'm reminded that sin has ravaged God's world and has ravaged my body. And that Jesus came in weakness and suffering to bear my sin and to give me life and hope for a new heaven and a new earth and a new body that is free from sin 
that is free from sickness and suffering. Sickness is meant to make me depend upon God. It's meant to make me long for heaven. It's meant to tear my heart off the things of this world and the desires of my own heart and to make me desire Jesus and to rest in his grace more. And if that's God's purpose in my suffering, in my sickness, verse 9, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, I depend upon Christ's power. And when I'm dependent upon him, his grace is at work, making me more like him, perfecting me in him. And when he is at work, when his power is growing me, maturing me, perfecting me, then I am strong. We have a friend who often pops into our house around five o'clock from time to time for a cup of tea and a chat. She's about to turn 70. She's lived with chronic pain for many years and she's a great theologian. So she came this week on Thursday, my sick day. I said, I'm preaching on sickness this week. What have you found helpful over the years facing chronic pain and illness? Amongst other things, she said that singing hope-filled hymns has always helped her in her pain. She said this, she said, if Johnny Erickson Tata can sing the praises of Jesus in her suffering, then so can I. Do you know Johnny? She's just past the 50-year mark of being a quadriplegic. Sitting in a wheelchair for 50 years, her sacrum has now disintegrated. She's in constant and mysterious pain from a medical perspective. And after 40 years as a quadriplegic, she was diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer. She knows suffering and she knows Jesus. She's worth listening to on sickness and she's also worth listening to on euthanasia. She says this, Suffering has helped me find more sweetness in Jesus. So my pain has become a companion. A dark companion sometimes. Not a pleasant companion. but one I find hard to exchange for something else because of what God has worked in me through it. I can't totally regard it as bad. Suffering has helped me find more sweetness in Jesus. J.C. Ryle was a bishop in England in the late 19th century He says this in his little book on sickness. It's a good book to read while you're sick. I did it on Thursday. It only took 15 minutes. It was written over uh, 100 years ago. But he says this. He says, I know the suffering and pain which sickness involves. I admit the misery and wretchedness which it often brings, but I cannot regard it completely as evil 
because I see in it a wise plan and purpose of God to make me more like Jesus, to make me depend upon his grace, to make me long for heaven. And so let me finish this morning with three applications from J.C. Ryle. Three things that sickness can help you do, or rather you should do, in the midst of sickness. Sickness means you should always be prepared to meet God. And so in the middle of sickness, it's good to take that quiet time where you can't do anything else and to reflect on your Christian life, to examine your heart. What do you need to confess to God? Is his grace sufficient for you? I had to ask the question this week, is my sickness simply frustrating my desires for this life or is it increasing my desires for the life to come? Sickness reminds me I need to be prepared to meet God. In sickness I should always be ready to bear it patiently. This is what Ryle says. He says, pray regularly for strength to endure and this includes in sickness. Meekness, gentleness, long-suffering, faithfulness, patience are all fruit of the Spirit and they are passive graces which specially glorify God. Never do these graces graces shine so brightly as they do in the sick room. They enable many a person to preach a silent sermon which those around them never forget. Would you adorn the doctrine you profess? Would you make your Christianity beautiful in the eyes of others? Then lay up a store of patience against the time of illness. And finally, he says, always be ready to help and care for others. That sickness should prepare in us sympathy and empathy in order that we might care for others, that the comfort of the gospel that we have in the midst of our sickness doesn't terminate with us but allows us to then comfort those who suffer, to understand, to stand alongside, to care for and to support those who suffer, those who are sick around us and to point them to Jesus in the middle of it. How should we think about our sickness? Always be prepared to meet God. Always be be ready to bear it patiently. Always be ready to help and to care for others. Let me finish with these words from J.C. Ryle. Reflecting on sickness, he says, Let us hold to Christ more closely, love him more heartily, live for him more thoroughly, copy him more exactly, confess him more boldly, follow him more fully. The time is short. The fashion of this world passes away. A few more sicknesses and all will be over. A few more funerals and our own funeral will take place. A few more storms and tossings and we shall be safe in harbour. 
We travel towards a world where there is no more sickness, where parting and pain and crying and mourning are done with forevermore. Heaven is becoming every year more full and earth more empty. The friends ahead are becoming more numerous than the friends behind. Yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. And in his presence shall be the fullness of joy. Christ shall wipe away all the tears from his people's eyes. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, but he shall be, but he shall be destroyed. Death himself shall one day die. In the meantime, let us live the life of faith in the Son of God. Let us lean all our weight on Christ and rejoice in the thought that he lives forevermore. He lives who will one day change our vile body and make it like his glorious body. In sickness and in health, in life and in death, let us lean confidently on him. Surely we ought to say with one of the old, blessed be God for Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.